Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money. All in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or your computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating a podcast today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify and when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&A and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I love engaging with my audience with the Q&A and the polls. And I also love the fact that I can upload my video podcast on Spotify because I know my audience love watching it sometimes when they're traveling on their commute. I highly recommend you give it a try and you can download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com forward slash podcasters to get started. My next guest doesn't need an introduction, so I want to tell you the story of how this happened. In January, two of my friends sent me this article, which said Stephen Bartlett was making millions from his podcasts. And since that day, I've listened to a podcast, sometimes two, every single day. Fast forward three months, and my auntie Rashma, who lives in New York, asks me if she should go onto his podcast in LA. I had changed my flights three times, but it just so happened that these specific dates aligned with mine. So as I flew to LA, I realized that not only do I get to watch one of the greatest podcasts live, but I also had the opportunity to ask Stephen to record a podcast with me too. Not only did he say yes to recording a podcast with me, but he let me use his set, his crew, and his equipment to record this episode. The kindest, most generous man. I can't believe I'm saying this, but please welcome Stephen Bartlett to a Millennial Mind. So Stephen, welcome to Millennial Mind. Thanks for having me. This feels very surreal to be in your studio <laughs> and to be interviewing you. Well, you've got um, you've got a, you know, you've got one of the real attributes of successful people, which is just sometimes you've got to ask a question. And my personal story is riddled with moments where I asked a question from someone that was, was pivotal to my life and my mm-hmm. like success and my trajectory. But most people probably didn't even know that you can just ask questions. Absolutely. And as we finish recording with, you know, your auntie. Yes. Um, you said you asked a question as mm-hmm. I was walking out of the kitchen. You said, <laughs> could I have a conversation with you? And there's something really important in that, I think, for young people, which is like that in that situ in that situation, the consequence of me saying no mm-hmm. is nothing. You r- remain exactly where you were in the world. But the potential upside of saying yes, right? Maybe you might have to deal with some rejection if I'd said no, yes. which is an ego thing, whatever. But the upside of someone saying yes in those moments can be pivotal as it has been for me. So... Absolutely. And there was no downside for me here today. I came to your podcast. It was, it's a crazy story. Two months ago, and actually three months ago now, two people sent me an article by you. And it says Stephen Bartlett made, I think it was 1.7 million from his podcast this year. Is that correct? I think so. Yeah, Something 5. like that. <laughs> was it 4.5? Okay, well, it maybe more, I should have memorized that no, stat the before this. directly, yeah. But the Diary of a CEO brand, it's like, yeah. So yeah, they sent me that and they said you. Mm. And in that moment, I thought, oh God, I'm so upset. Like I don't make any money from my podcast. Mm. But then I thought I have something to learn from this guy. Mm. So ever since I listen to your podcast every day 
And then um, I saw that you put on your story, I'm coming to LA, who should I interview? Mm. And I didn't even think to ask Rashma because she lives in New York. Two days later, she messages me saying, are you gonna be in LA? I have the Stephen Bartlett podcast. And I said, are you joking? Mm. I've moved my LA flights three times. Mm. And this is the exact same date that you're gonna be there. This means something. Mm -hmm. And you're everything that I'd wanna be in terms of the podcast, in terms of your mm. businesses. It just feels like it was meant to be. So yes, there was no downside of me not getting these this interview, but there was significant upside. Mm -hmm. Now, your whole book, and I believe one of your strongest messages is about really being authentically yourself. Mm -hmm. And your journey that you've talked about is everyone should, and Jim Carrey says this also, I wish everyone was rich and famous. So they could see that this is really not what it's about. Mm -hmm. But what I find really difficult is you had to buy a Ferrari and you had to buy your big house in London and only then you could say, guys, don't pursue this. Mm -hmm. I feel all the people who are sending this message have the same thing. Mm -hmm. But yet you, the younger generation, see all these things as a point of success and we still pursue them. Mm -hmm. Do you think we all have to actually get to that point where we can buy these things for us to actually reject the fact that we don't need them? Because I think we already know we don't need them. Well, it depends. There's two, there's two forces at play. One of them is your, the insecurity or the social pressure that's driving you to have the Lamborghini. Mm -hmm. How strong is that out of one in, one in 10, mm -hmm. right? And then there's the other counterforce, which was the narrative of Stephen Bartlett telling you once he's had it, that it's not going to make you fulfilled. How strong is that out of one in 10? And a really mm -hmm. simple way to view it is like, which force is stronger? Right. If the, the, the force of insecurity, trauma, my upbringing where we didn't have anything, I was the, we were the, the black fam, poor family in a middle-class white area, only black kid in my school, you know, house smashed to pieces, six foot grass out the front, everyone out, all my neighbors, I think I've shown some of my team this, mm -hmm. all of my neighbors had perfect houses and perfect, like one centimeter grass. And you grow up in the, con and when you attribute value by con context. Right. So like you can get the old Nokia I used to have, I used to think it was a great phone, but in a mm -hmm. world of iPhones, it becomes a piece of shit. I felt like a piece of shit. It was a very right. strong force in my life. Shame, trying to fit in. Why am I black? Why is my hair curly? Relaxing my hair, stealing stuff, like all of these things. The force was so strong in me that no words from a bit millionaire that a Lamborghini isn't gonna do it we're mm -hmm. going to counteract the strength of that force. So I had to have it fail me. I had right. to go and buy a mansion. And I was there for maybe, I was there for months before I begged to leave. Yeah. Because it, it did a bunch of really like, it compromised some of the Maslovian needs that we all have. Mm -hmm. One of them was, it was an hour away from my friends. Yeah. So I lost my sense of community. It took two hours, sometimes three hours of, of a commute to get there and back. And it did nothing for me. It was... Mm trying to fill a void that couldn't be filled with, with possessions. I needed to realize that I was always enough. So that's really the answer is like, how strong is the force? And honestly, if your insecurity, your trauma, whatever it is, the driving force that's making you want Lamborghinis and material shiny things mm -hmm. is stronger than the, the way that you're delivered another truth about the fact it's not gonna fulfill you, then you're gonna have to get there and let it fail you. That is just the truth. Like, and for me, it was so strong. So I had to be failed by it to learn that it wasn't gonna be my thing in life. And I think it's because we think of things as, it's convention, right? So conventionally having a Lamborghini and a big house is gonna define you to be successful. Yeah. And I love the way that last week you uploaded a video and you said, uh, me and my girlfriend, when we go on holiday, we have separate rooms. We need our own personal space. Now I love the way you challenge these things and give people a different perspective because somebody who is in a relationship and is going through that same level of, I think I need my own space, will feel actually I'm not a weirdo. I don't not love my boyfriend or husband. Mm. 
But actually what's also difficult is in a world where there's so many opinions and now there's so many different viewpoints, how do you know what's really right for you? So let's say I'm someone who's really unhappy in a mm. relationship and I know that I don't want to spend time with that person. And a lot of this is about understanding who you are and your love languages is presence mm. one of them. But somebody who's listening to you and thinks, well, you know, it's normal to sleep separately or it's normal to spend so much time apart. So maybe I do love this person. Mm. How do they navigate through actually what's right for them? I think we all have a really clear indicator in our lives, probably the most pure, powerful indicator about the decisions we should be making. And I sit here with guests all the time and it's so obvious that they had that indicator going off in their lives mm -hmm. and they probably ignored it because of their parents or because of society or because of a status quo. And that indicator is, how do you feel? Yes, your gut. Your auntie talked to me about it a second ago. She said when she went into the working world and she was having a certain job, she was miserable and depressed, yes. right? But she persisted because pressure from her parents, pressure from, from society, whatever it might mm -hmm. be. Um, in relationships, ask yourself, how do you feel? Yes. We, it seems like such a simple thing, but we always, for some bizarre reason, seem to consider it to be less important how we're feeling than how it looks. Right. I think like, or like, yeah, how it looks to the outside world or to my parents, how does it mm. look seems to be a more dominant question than how do I feel? And like following the, the satellite navigation of how do I feel in our lives is not easy, right? No. Because it sometimes means leaving a relationship. It means difficult conversations. It means adjustments and it means criticism it means shedding a friendship group it means mm -hmm. leaving a universe like a university course it means leaving a city but whenever you zoom out whenever you zoom out hindsight tends to, to tell you that in fact that was the most important indicator that life gave you and you ignored it right because of something else so even now in my life like when i'm trying to make decisions the key thing that I make my decisions through the prism, the first question has to be like, how does this feel? Right. And, um, and if I listen to that, I end up with better outcomes, but it's sometimes in the short term, people are upset. Mm. And that is okay because in the long term, at the end of the day, I'm the only guardian of my peace and my happiness. I'm the, like, the first guardian. I'm the gatekeeper of that. So my first priority has to be, like they say with that kind of cliched plane yes. analogy, I have to put the mask on first. Right. Um, or else everyone is going to be really pissed off because as you've seen, I mean, I don't mean to be morbid or graphic, but the thing killing most men is themselves under the right. age of 45 in our country. Mm -hmm. Mental health is, you know, ailments are soaring, anxiety, depression, all these things. So I think it's never been more important to like really prioritize that question, which is how do you feel? You make mm -hmm. your decision like, and, and this is really, this is really has been the driving question of like all the things that people now respect me for. Like all the things where people go, oh my God, he's so amazing or whatever. Oh, he's so courageous. Mm -hmm. Really started with me being able to say, I fucking hate university. I hate school. Right. I hate this job. I hate this call center. Um, I, ha I hate this company I founded now. Yes. Um, I'm going, where are you going? Don't know, Don't know. but not here. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. And that, oh, so brave. No, we talked about this off camera. Like, in fact, it it's probably cowardice because I'm not a risk taker. I'm not going to risk the most important thing of all, which is my chance at, happiness in this one life that I get. People don't do that. It's so weird, you know? I guess we, we're just incapable of zooming out. And I think we also think we're going to live forever. Absolutely. And I also think spending time in solitude helps. So mm. I went traveling alone. And when you're traveling alone, you have a lot of time alone. It's without all the noise, without all the pressures, without looking at your phone all day, because there's no Wi-Fi. And, you know, you talk about social media as a status war zone. 
Mm. right? Mm. And how we just said, the algorithm supports that. So I know if I post a picture of myself in a bikini, mm. I'm going to get 20,000 more likes than if I post a picture of me with a mic doing, recording my podcast. It happens all the time. I've had amazing guests on my podcast, mm. post them, not that many likes, post a picture of my bikini, everyone loves it. Mm. Now, what was really hard for me actually is I used to model a few years ago and I still do a little bit but it wasn't within my heart. It wasn't something that I felt like, I feel great doing this. Mm-hmm. I was doing it because society said, it's great to be a model it's for my own validation. Um, and what I really noticed actually during that period is I was deeply unhappy. Mm-hmm. And what I started to do is say, I'm not gonna post any more photos of that anymore. And I'm gonna do things that make me feel really happy. Now, what we were speaking about before is we've grown up with a generation of instant gratification. So it's really difficult to stay in your lane and push through the things that you really want to do because we're very impatient. And you talk about this in your book, right? Patience is key. And it's very hard for me at sometimes when I'm doing my podcast to not see it grow as quickly as let's say you, I'm not comparing us, mm. um, but see other people who have podcasts and think, should I then switch my lane? Should I upload more pictures of me in a cool dress? Or should I upload more pictures of me modeling? Cause I know that that's what people are gonna like. And I think a lot of people in our generation feel like this. We mold ourselves to what we want to be seen as and we, what we think is cool or popular. And we move away from actually what Rashma talked about is our dharma, what's mm. in, our, in our heart. How, what's your advice on that? And how do you think you're actually not doing that? So my like thesis on patience as well is that I have like, I'm incredibly impatient in the short term. Everybody, right. there's my team members that stood, you know, only meters away from me mm-hmm. and they will say, yes, he's incredibly impatient in the short term, but I'm incredibly patient in the long term. And I think as it relates to like what you've described there with your podcast and not, you know, it's not growing as fast enough, whatever, whatever. Um, it doesn't really matter over the long term, as long as it's something that you love doing every day. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's like maybe a bit cliche or whatever, but like, what is the rush if you genuinely lo- like people tend to have a long-term patience problem when when the thing they're doing sucks mm. i get this all the time young kids come to me they say oh, i started this hair business because thought it was an opportunity to make some money i'm yeah. a year and a half in and it's not well, i've not made a million quid yet and well, i'm gonna quit right mm-hmm. like if you think about how long how long have you been doing your podcast two years okay i've been doing mine four mine only grew no one was listening for the first three okay which it gives you some context because yeah. I, ha- I, ha- I did it for another year from where you are now and still no one was listening. I remember, I saw your graph, it was like this yeah, and then I can it shot show you. Yeah, it's like mm-hmm. the Burj Khalifa. Like the, <laughs> honestly, it's like, it's like a v- vertical line upwards from year four. Mm-hmm. A couple of changes, whatever, whatever. But I was doing it because I loved it. And when you love something, it results in like mastery and obsession and this fixation on marginal gains. And then you get a really nice outcome, like a chart position. So the first thing is like over the long term, if you look at anything I've accomplished, it usually takes like 10 years, usually on average, maybe five to 10 years. But I didn't give a fuck about the timeline because I loved it every day. I I was surrounded by great people. Um, The first couple of years in anything are a process of like, personal development and you don't even mm-hmm. know you're putting money in the bank yes one thing i always say to my i used to say to my team members at social chain was um social chain the business that made me wealthy was actually a pivot of another company right so i did this company called Woolpark for about three years and it failed tragically then i started social chain because that Woolpark taught me something about social media that i saw an opportunity in mm-hmm. and then um five years into social chain i become incredibly wealthy. And so when I think about, say, say I made 80 million, right? right? Say my net worth is 80 million Mm -hmm. and it took eight years. I actually made 10 million in year one at that failed startup. Mm -hmm. I made 10 million. I just couldn't 
cash it out yet. I made 10 million in like development, people skills, learning. Mm-hmm. Year two, I made another 10 million. Year three, I made another 10 million, even though I was broke. Right. I was, I was, I was living in zone seven in London. That's not even, zone. it felt like zone, I live in seven, zone seven right now. In London. So. I couldn't get on the tube. I had no money. And that was like four years into business and I still couldn't get on the tube. And right. then year four, five, six, seven, things went better. And then year eight, I got 18 million, right? right. I actually made 10 million a year. Mm-hmm. And like young people, you know, because they are fixated on the bag, not right. the, not loving every day, they don't want to do it. So like, I can't, whenever I have an idea for something, whether it's a podcast or this or that, the other, I put it on what I call the someday shelf, right? which is this like mental shelf in my mind where all of the ideas that you know, as a creative entrepreneurial person come up, there's yeah. so many of them, Same. one a day, three, you know, three a day, they all go onto the Sunday shelf. And unless it like nags me mm. and it just keeps jumping off the shelf and I keep putting it back on and I go, I'm busy, I need to focus, focus matters. I don't pursue it. And there's some things in my life, whether it's this podcast, whether it's something else, I go, do you know what? I just, I would just love to do that every day, regardless of time frame or remuneration. Okay. Then it comes off the Sunday shelf and then I take it really fucking seriously. Mm. And I, when I mean really seriously, I mean, you my team hard. know, like I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed yeah. with every detail. But like we spent hours thinking about every detail, like messing with the candle back there, the music mm-hmm. we play when people come in, we usually research what music makes them sad or right. music gets them in a certain state and right. we'll play it. I knew Israel Adesanya, the UFC champion, when he came, mm-hmm. I knew that the song Nipsey Hustle Double Up had made him cry six years ago right. because of, so we play that song, the lighting, the feel mm-hmm. of this room, the fact you're sat, yeah, all of mm-hmm. these tiny details. We'll mess around with the thumbnail for your auntie's episode of this podcast probably four of us around a computer for maybe an hour, two hours. Right. And then at 2 a.m. at nighttime, we'll be talking about the title of that episode. And we mm-hmm. don't believe in like one big decision is going to get us there. Our I thesis, agree. and I say this many times, I don't care if people believe, like I'm willing to tell my competition this is like, if we can find 1% improvement, whether yes. it was three of us debating whether that candle should be lit before your auntie arrived. Mm-hmm. If we can find 1% <laughs> somewhere, then that over any time frame is going to completely change the trajectory of our of our. Um, product here right. and the, the real driving force the thing that's going to make us care about if the candle's lit is that we just love it so i would love to compete against people who are in, who care who are sweating that the results haven't shown up yet yeah i remember a year ago we were talking about this podcast and we could we could predict that we were going to become number one even before we were in the top 200 because of our trajectory so we look at the graphs and we put all of our competitors on this trajectory graph and go right. yeah they have a hundred thousand followers more than us and two one mm-hmm. you know in some cases millions but 2022 in uh, october mm-hmm. we're going to be number one because right. we care about the one percent right. and act, when you zoom out it's all about trajectory so yeah, I wouldn't worry about time horizons. Your job as a, as a new podcaster should just be every single day, whoever you're working with, trying to find a 1% marginal gain in the audio, the this, the promotion, yes. the whatever you do. You do that and you love it. You, you'll be unbelievable where you'll be in five years. Unbelievable. You'll that be is- number one. If you really do that, so. you will be number one in five years. If it's, you sweat about why you're not there yet and exactly. you start to get demoralized, you know, am I shit at podcasting? Da, da, exactly. Da, then you'll never get there. I ask that question because I think a lot of people don't get what I, why I do it. Mm. So I work a nine to five. Yeah. I have now invested into a studio exactly for the things you said. I started my podcast in lockdown. Mm. First one was a no video, just audio. Same. Recording in my garage, like asking people to come to my house. Like, mm. hey, do you mind crowding around this one 50 pound mic? Mm. Second one was, okay, I need to invest in a camera. Mm. 
had to learn video editing skills. I was like, this is new. I had to start a YouTube channel. Third one, again, I was like, need to, need to now actually do an intro reel for people, like actually start editing better. Mm. Fourth season, I told my parents, I'm going to invest in a studio. And they were like, what? Why? Mm. Why are you going to spend money doing mm. this? The editing, as you know, on video, when you have three cameras, mm. is totally different on Zoom. Mm -hmm. The time the hair, the makeup. Mm. I think women have to worry about that a bit more. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the lighting, all of that stuff, organizing a studio, getting people there, organizing, you know, th their travel and understanding all of those dynamics. Is it convenient for them or not? Mm. It's so much harder. And I wake up at like two, 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 three AM sometimes and like voice note myself on my phone. Cause I'm so excited about it. Mm. And people, someone asked me, my friend the other day and said, are you getting paid for this? And I said, no. And mm. I said, why would you do that? You're like working full-time and then you're working on this. And then on the weekends, you don't really come out with us and you leave mm. early, why are you doing it? And I think I just love it. Mm. And I just love how far I've come. I said on my other podcast, I learned how to zoom in the other day. It was like the greatest achievement for me. I learned how to zoom in a frame. And I was like, I never knew how to do that before. On your now, other podcast? I said it on one of my podcasts to someone. Okay. Uh, sorry, just the same podcast. Okay, I was going to say, I was about <laughs> but, to, red flag. <laughs> how many podcasts no, just have you one, got? Just okay, one. <laughs> but I mentioned to them that that small win is so stupid. You know, someone would be like, you learned how to zoom in on iMovie. Like yeah. grow up. You could have done that ages ago. But it was such a big win for me. And like you said, you just have to love it. You're making, so say that your podcast Spotify by it your two years in, in eight mm -hmm. years time, and they buy it for a hundred million. You've got mm -hmm. to think about the fact that you made 10 million this year. Right. Like fiddling around and learning how to zoom in. Right. In hindsight, this year you made 10 million. If it gets bought in eight years in your 10th year for a hundred million, this year you made 10 million. Mm. It didn't feel like it because you're in your garage and you were messing around and fucking up. Yes. But that is an unavoidable process of getting to any great position is messing, as your auntie said, like messing around and fucking up. Mm. There's no other path. Like young people specifically, because they see people at the finish line. They mm. see a Stephen Bartlett, whatever. They don't exactly. see me stealing the pizzas, you know, or, or doing all the other crafty shit I did when I was, you know, all the, my mum disowning me, they don't get to see mm. that. So my success becomes almost a testament of their own inadequacy because they mm. didn't see the, the, the eight years of pain. And, and, and exactly. you only got to speak to the first people I hired and they'll tell you just how bad I was, mm. like professionally. Right. Uh, my ideas were shit. I remember one of my best friends, he's worked for me for about 10 years. Mm -hmm. He said, oh, Steve's ideas were so shit back then. And it's the most... It's the greatest gift I can give to a young person that's striving to achieve something is showing you how bad I was. I was way worse than you when I started. So much worse. My Like even if from a business con context, mm -hmm. can't do math, can't do English, mm. can't really do anything. But um, learn a few it. things because I, I've always done what I loved and that is the best like teacher in life, that, you know, stumbling. Right. And I stumble because I, I'm going in a direction that means a lot to me. So stumbling is the only way to get there. And you're stumbling now. Mm-hmm. I would say to you though, I mean, if you do want to focus on podcasting, the, 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 the first issue you have to fix in terms of like liberating you from your other responsibilities, your day job mm -hmm. is the commercial one. And all you got to, I know this sounds simple, <laughs> but all you got to do is get one person to believe in you. And you got to say to one person, listen, mm -hmm. think about what they need in their organization. There's some big organizations out there. Give me $20,000 a month. Mm -hmm. Believe in me. And I'm going to make this the biggest millennial podcast in the world. And when I do, you're gonna, you're gonna be my partner throughout that so whole Steven. thing. So <laughs> Stephen. Yeah. You set me up I for that one, know, didn't you? Know, I know that I'm doing it when I do it. I go, in fact, she's gonna ask me. But that's what I'm saying. Like there'll be companies out there that are trying to reach millennials and yes. you should go to them. I, I did the same. I did the same with Huel. With Huel I yeah. called the CEO. I said, I'm starting this podcast. Mm -hmm. Believe in me. Right. Cause that's always been a good bet. 
And he said, I ble- he believed in me more than I believed in myself. He said to me then, your podcast is going to go to number one. And he, yeah. And so when it became big, you know. It paid off. So I just need a clip from you saying you believe in me so I can send that to all of these companies. <laughs> <laughs> you have it. I believe in you. We got it. I believe in her. <laughs> so talking about young people. Yeah. You're the youngest judge on Dragon's Den. Mm-hmm. And we often mix competency and credibility with age. Mm. I think that's why a lot of people are very hesitant to start a business. Oh, I'm too young. Mm. No one's going to take me seriously. Yeah. Do you still face that? You know, um, so many, like one of my podcast guests taught me a really important lesson about expectations called Mogad. I talk about it all the time because it really did change my life. Mm -hmm. This idea of like, you know, we're happy in our lives when our expectations of how life should be going are met. Mm-hmm. And we're unhappy when our expectations of life go unmet. This explains why billionaires, when their steak doesn't come the right amount of cooked, even though they're a billionaire in a wonderful right. restaurant, they will be like red in the face furious and it's ruined their dinner. Whereas you go to like where I was born in Africa, a bowl mm-hmm. of rice equals euphoria because your expectations exactly. of life are being exceeded. There's the same thing in like young people and people's expectation of you. Mm-hmm. When their expectation of you is low, the delta of where you actually deliver becomes impact. So when I was an 18 year old, I swear to God, I can show you the email after we finish recording. I would say I was younger. When I was 19 years old, I always thought 18 sounded better. So when I emailed investors, I would say, and I can tell because of the timestamps on Gmail, I was 18 when I sent that email saying, uh, I was 18, I was 19 19. when I sent that email saying I was 18. Because my belief, and I could see it was, I walk in a room, they go, oh, look at this young kid. I bet he can tie his shoelaces. And then you deliver something in a really articulate, powerful way. They think you're a prodigy. Right. And they would, and my, my like second round of investors came from me just going on stage in this room in London and mm-hmm. being this 18 year old kid that could speak with, you know, passion, enthusiasm and had this vision. Mm-hmm. Everyone goes, oh my God, he's going to be a tr- trillionaire, right? Right. That expectation is your power. I wish I was younger. I say it to my team every year. I'm like, I get a year older. I'm like, fucking hell. People are less impressed now. You know what I mean? Because I'm like 29 now. Of course you should be a millionaire. Do you know what I mean? Oh, you're 29. Thank God. I thought you were 28. No, at least, yeah, yeah, yeah. At least exactly. you're older than me. Fuck. Hallelujah. because I don't change my bios for like six months <laughs> to try and like eke out the last. I probably lied somewhere. But <laughs> no, like when I get to 30, I'm like, I'm going to have to be a billionaire to impress people, right. you know? So your, your youth and your, the lack of expectation is, is mm. your power. It's your impact. That is so powerful. And I lean into it, you know? The last quote in your book really stuck a chord with me. Mm-hmm. Does it struck a chord with me? Mm-hmm. You say you'll never be defined valued or measured by your car, bank balance, job, title, followers, or your accomplishments. Mm. Before, backstage, before um, we spoke, you said you had Mm. Mo on and you loved having him on because he didn't have any followers. Mm. We still, as a society, inherently value people based on these things. A lot of people on your podcast match one of those criteria. Mm -hmm. A homeless person on the street probably has so much more to tell us so many insights to tell us, but yet none of us give them a platform because we inherently think, we know, like you said, we don't need the money. We don't need Lamborghini to be happy. We don't need to value somebody based on the amount of followers they have or their credentials, but yet we keep doing it. Mm. How do we stop that? So the, the quote really references like, the outside world will value on that basis. Yes. Of course, if I go to a restaurant now, they're very nice to me, <laughs> right? Because I'm on Dragon's Den, so they're very nice to me. Oh, we've got no reservation. Before it was, they didn't have the reservation. Now they make a reservation, right? right? Of course, the world values like that, but mm-hmm. that's actually not the, the intrinsic value of yourself. And that's, right. it turns out to be the most important thing, like how you feel about yourself at night mm-hmm. when you're alone. So mm-hmm. of course the world will do this, you know, circus around you if you are famous, whatever. But what matters and actually your, your true value, the like, the thing that will be, 
consequential to your happiness and fulfillment is like how you value yourself. And if you have a Lamborghini, but yes. you don't, you still have those kind of unaddressed issues about feeling like you're not enough. You're still going to feel like a piece of shit. Got it. Um, we're never going to change the world. Like mm. humans are designed to attribute, as I said, the value of things based on, based on the context they see them. I'm not trying to change the world in the regard of um, how they attribute the value in something. I will fail. It mm -hmm. doesn't matter. It's more about like your perspective of yourself and knowing that if you're not famous, if you're not a millionaire, if you're not whatever, um, none of those things are going to make you feel like you're enough if you don't already. Mm -hmm. and, and actually the science is pretty clear that when people achieve the goals that they once hoped would make them fulfilled and it doesn't, they get all kinds of psychological problems. They call mm -hmm. it gold medal depression. These Olympians, these, you know, the UFC fighters. I've had them on my podcast. Johnny Wilkinson, the famous UK rugby player that dropped that goal 17 seconds in the rugby final mm -hmm. and got it through the, the, the rugby, whatever, the H thing. Yeah. Depressed the next day. Israel mm. Adesanya, the UFC world champion, bullied as a kid, starts, becomes a fighter, wins the UFC title, the greatest potentially fighter at the moment in therapy the next day with depression because right. he thought that the belt, the accomplishment, the accolade would make him, would make him fulfilled. It would fill mm. some void that his childhood had, had created. And one day someone said to me, they said, you are, by the way, you are ready enough and you don't need anything more. And I remember thinking, what a load of bullshit. Mm. I remember being sat there. I remember I was in the tiered seating at social chain when this woman said it, she said, you are already, oh, what a load of bullshit. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, if you don't believe that now, you never will. You'll always defer your happiness to some future accomplishment. And it's like, I refer to it like a ransom taker. Right. Like when you pay the ransom to the hostage taker, which is your happiness, um, they call you. So you've achieved the accomplishment. You've become a millionaire. Your podcast is number one. You mm -hmm. get this phone call from the hostage taker, which promised you they would release your happiness. And they say to you, we're going to need double. Right. Now you're going to go need to crack the US. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that cycle continues as this miserable feeling of like inadequacy for the rest of your life. So the key thing is to know you're enough now, because then that doesn't inhibit your ambition. Doesn't mean you're going to lay around in bed. It actually means the things you aim for are real ambitions. Right. Not a Lamborghini because my parents didn't have one. Exactly. But I want to start girls who code because mm -hmm. I want to see real change in the world. And I don't care exactly. about, you know, how much how wealthy it personally makes me, what people think of me, how many followers that gives me. That's real ambition. Because that's what I want to do in my heart. And that's what we, that's what I mentioned before is yeah. social media doesn't allow us to do that sometimes. It's very easy to get caught up in what other people want you to do. Yeah. But actually knowing exactly where you want to go yeah. and what is actually like your purpose yeah. is important. Yeah, and you've got to blame yourself. So you yes. just, the, the phraseology is important. It's not social media doing it. Mm. It's you doing it. So true. You're doing, even with your parents, like your parents can't make you stay in that job. Yeah. You're choosing, choosing to stay to. in that job. Yeah. Because of something within yeah. you that you need to have mm. a conversation with. People pleaser. Yeah, so many things. Yeah. So. You can end up pleasing everyone but yourself. Exactly. I am so honored to have spoken to you today. No worries. It's but so I have cool. one question. My uh -oh. last question. Uh -oh. Why did you say yes to this? I just respect, you know, your, your auntie actually mentioned it. There's sometimes, um, maybe that's why she said it. That's Did you say it because of that? No, no, no. <laughs> but no but she, made, she made a really good I point, which was that. probably the most valuable podcast I can go on in terms of like helping someone then leverage f me for other guests mm -hmm. is ones like this. Yeah. Because, you know, you're going to go back to the UK. I am. And, I'm, you know, you can say to people, oh, Steve Bartlett came on the podcast. And there's a group of people that will then say yes because of that. And, and I also can tell from the pre-conversation pre we had um, 
that this is actually what you want to do. Mm-hmm. This is not some game or some like little thing that's going to last you a couple of months. Yeah. And then thirdly, the, the, just the conviction to ask, I respect it. Mm-hmm. And like, there's so many, you know, I think that's really important for people to hear because as I said at the start of this conversation, the consequence of me saying no returns you to the exact life you had before. Absolutely. But the upside of someone saying, maybe with a little ego dent, but not the, really though. <laughs> yeah, if I'd gone now, what are you talking about? And I'd, I'd stormed the fight, which happens, it happens. <laughs> but, the, but the relative like upside of someone saying yes to just asking a question, no mm-hmm. harm and potentially pivotal. So well done to you. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. No worries. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much for for allowing me to record her. Thank you. And thank you for telling your auntie to come and do this. This is amazing. (laughs) Not at all. Thank you. (laughs) Hey, everyone. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Wherever you're listening or watching, if you could press the like, follow and subscribe button, it would mean the world to me.